Today's intention is to raise awareness. Hey, it's Bobby. Welcome to Student of Intention, where we help you enjoy the pursuit of purpose. Remember, don't wait, start small, learn as you go. Hey there, friends. Bobby here. Welcome to Student of Intention, your little corner of the internet where we spark strengthen and support self-discovery. It's a, uh, it's a tense morning here in the Creative Palace. Our co-captain, Chris, uh, had a little emergency and had to run out. So we are doing what we do and um, continuing the show. Um, but we've got a little, uh, a little scrappy setup here, but I think it'll work out nicely with my guest, Jindy Mann, who um, I'm very, very excited to introduce you to. He's, uh, um, he's a relatively new acquaintance and um, a friend of a friend, but uh, somebody I think uh, uh, from the beginning I've had a special connection with. And, and I'll get to Jindy here in a second. Um, as is customary, I want to start with a, with a quick story. This, this week has been huge. Um, and huge in the sense that I would say I, uh, I kind of got over a little hump. And that hump is officially um, doing the pre-launch of my book, The Five Buckets. So on Tuesday, um, the website went up. Uh, if you haven't visited it yet, please do. It's studentofintention.com. And I sent out a message on my newsletter, on LinkedIn. And man, the response has just been incredible. And I sort of made the announcement through, um, through a little story that, uh, that this past weekend of me sharing the book, um, the printed copy in person with my future brother-in-law, Taylor. Um, and Taylor is just um, a really, really close connection. Somebody I'm, I'm, you know, because of a lot of reasons, going to be friends with for a long time. And as I handed him the printed copy of, of, of the book, you know, his question was, how does it feel? And after a year of just toiling at this thing and sort of scrapping together the different, you know, the interior design, the cover design, working with the editor, it was kind of an interesting question. How does it feel? So I, I, I paused and I really just reflected on like a year ago of, of where I was at. And at that time, you know, I felt pretty beaten down, sort of like lost. Um, I would say that like my actions um, for that past several months didn't, didn't match up with who I wanted to be. And uh, in particular, I always wanted to be a writer, but I had never written anything. So for one, when he says, how do I feel? I, I felt grateful and I feel grateful. I feel grateful first and foremost for this framework, the five buckets. I mean, it's changed my life. Um, and it found me. I didn't find it. Uh, it found me at a meditation ceremony September of last year uh, when I really needed it. Um, and so now I write every day. Um, I think the other feeling that came up was curiosity. Um, I'm just curious to see how far I can go. You know, what else I'll write? What else I'll experience? What else I'll discover? And um, he, he, he sort of... Uh, uh, I think says that that it's not official um, until I sign the copy. So then he grabs a pen and as I flip open the cover, uh, I write him a little note and the note says, thank you for your friendship, support, and love. I hope this book helps you 
share more of it with others. You have so much to give, Taylor. And that's my other feeling, hope. I hope the five buckets helps you too. I think like Taylor, you have so much to give. And I invite you to begin. And a man who knows all about beginnings, about hope, about gratitude, about curiosity, uh, it's my guest, Jindy Mann. Jindy is the founder and coach at The Selfish Leader. He works with individuals and organizations committed to learning more about themselves in service of ongoing growth. Like I said in the intro, he's a friend of a good friend, Raj, and we had met, I don't know, just under a year ago. And I'm really excited to welcome to welcome Jindy to the show. Jindy, welcome to Student of Intention. Bobby, great to be here. Thanks for having me. And uh, congratulations on the pre-launch. That's, yeah, super exciting. And I think when we first met, when we first spoke, the book was still kind of starting to take shape, um, but I could just tell immediately how important it was to you. So congratulations. Thank you. Yes, man. Um, it's interesting to go back in time to that moment when Raj first introduced us. I think I was in the gullet of this first form of transformation. And you, um, I think you were just like the perfect I think it'd probably be a little aggressive to call you an angel, but you were definitely a perfect um, sounding board for me in that moment. Um, so, so I really appreciate it. And it's great to catch back up with you. Yeah. Yeah. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. And uh, I think there's something important in what you're saying there. I think one of the things perhaps we connected on pretty quickly was, was purpose. And I think it was really clear to me that you had purpose, um, uh, present in your life and you had a mission um, that was true to your values. So I think that feels to me like one of the things that we connected on pretty quickly. That's right. That's right. And I think you're, you know, you're, you're going through your own transformation of sorts and, um, and certainly finding purpose in a lot of ways. Let's talk about some of your recent stuff. Um, I know you've been getting outside a lot, um, which I'm a huge fan of combining purpose and nature um, I think you've got something special coming up called uh, a summer soul ramble, or maybe you already have these things going on, but I know you have one in particular coming up, um, in September. What's that been like? Yeah. So, um, so summer soul rambles are part of something called peaks and souls, uh, which myself and another coach have put together and we, the nature of our work is working with people, helping them discover what's important to them, helping them live lives of purpose and meaning. And we both love the outdoors. And we were sort of just half joking. Um, we both love snowboarding. We love the mountains. We were saying, hey, we should do snowboarding retreats almost as a joke. And then we kind of stopped and went, hang on a second. Why don't we? It's just the perfect, the perfect thing to put together. So next March in the French Alps, we have a snowboarding retreats, our first Peaks and Souls retreat, where we're going to take people away for four days. We're going to do a mixture of group work and individual work. And the theme is actually all about purpose. So we're going to, uh, over the course of those four days, help them discover or even rediscover or reaffirm what their purpose is. And in the middle of the day, we'll be out on the mountain playing, snowboarding, skiing, and those two things kind of go really well together. So, um, so we were able to bring kind of 
uh, our passions and the wider parts of ourselves to, to this work. And then as part of that, we thought, hey, why don't we do some 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 outdoor hikes this summer, uh, throughout the summer, particularly, you know, given the last 18 months, people are keen to get outdoors, get moving again, meet up with people. So we've been running these walks in, um, in uh, the countryside around London and the South Coast and just taking people on a walk and introducing some conversation topics and just just connecting, just getting outdoors and having good conversation, really. And uh, and it's been fantastic so far. It's been really great. So we've got, I think, two more lined up, but we're looking to um, to keep doing them. Maybe just keep doing them year round because people seem to enjoy them. Yeah, man, I'm always jealous seeing your posts on LinkedIn about these outdoor activities and you're, it seems like you're so close sometimes because digitally I'm just like, ah, I can go poke him right there, but <laughs> you're not. And I can't go, I, I can't go on one of these hikes and I'm really bummed um, cause they're halfway around the world. But, um, but well, I, I feel the same way when I, when I get your newsletter and I read about you running to the beach and kind of all these amazing things that you get to do in California. I'm like, man, you know, that, that's, that's where I want to be. That's where I want to be. Well, either way we have, we each have our nature. Um, you, you, you actually, so you touched on this a little bit that these things kind of go hand in hand, purpose, nature, physical activity, you know, going outdoors, sort of, uh, I, I, I still like part of the reason I go running all the time is like, it's a great way to receive is how I look at mm. it. Um, I, I think you talk about going outdoors and sort of just movements affect on creativity and problem solving. Um, are you seeing that as well? Like, do you have some specific examples? Um, does that receiving piece make sense to you? Yeah, completely, completely. So <clears throat> I suppose part of this, part of the origin of this was um, my lived experience of, you know, I've, I've kind of climbed mountains and snowboarded and done all sorts of adventure stuff. I cycle, I run. And my lived experience of that is I have my best ideas and my clearest thoughts and, and my broadest thoughts when I'm doing those things, when I'm in the outdoors. So I kind of, I've, I've been getting increasingly curious about that. And there's tons of research that supports it, um, that supports um, not just this, it's not just the scenery or the, the, the place that we're in, but also what we're doing with our bodies. And we have a kind of bi-directional relationship between our bodies and our minds. Um, and they both uh, affect each other in both directions. So, um, for example, some research came out not that long ago, I think, from um, Stanford, um, looking at just walking. And uh, the study found that um, walking increased creativity by something like 76% outdoors. But even indoors, on a treadmill, looking at a blank wall, uh, the researchers found that there's huge increases in creativity and creative problem solving. Um, when you combine that with the outdoors, uh, and there's a big difference between indoors and outdoors, what I've noticed, and also there's tons more research that supports this, is that you're seeing broader views. You're seeing these kind of vistas um, and these, uh, you're looking at, literally looking at the world in a broader sense. Um, and there's research by a guy called um, Professor Andrew Huberman, also of Stanford, I believe. And he looks at, for example, um, what happens to the eyes when we're uh, outdoors? Now, when we're in a um, when we're in a stressed or a tense uh, state, um, 
something happens to our nervous system. And one of the things that happens to our nervous system is that our pupils uh, are dilate and our, uh, sorry, don't dilate, they narrow and our vision focuses, becomes like tunnel vision. So, you know, if you're about to get hit by a car, Bobby, all you're going to be able to see is that car. You're going to be focused on that car. You're not going to be able to solve a math problem. You know, it's impossible. And that's a kind of evolutionary response. Um, but as I was saying before, there's a bi-directional relationship. So we can also trigger a karma state by looking at broad vistas, because when we're looking from the top of a mountain at a really wide view, the opposite happens. Our pupils dilate, our vision goes wider, and that triggers a response in our nervous system of lower heart rates, different brain function, and that's where things like creativity and coming back to awareness, some of the things that we haven't allowed space for can emerge in those, in those places. And that's why my lived experience in going to places like the mountains and doing these activities uh, in these spaces, it just allows a different part of myself to emerge and things that I haven't had time or space for can suddenly pop up. Um, similar to what you were saying, um, I mean, your story about the five buckets, you know, being on retreat, that's a perfect example. You know, you're allowing, you're, you're allowing things to emerge um, from somewhere deeper because of the space and setting that you're putting yourself in yeah yeah no it's uh it's really fascinating i i mean in the book i talk about this and uh, I, I talk about action being the first step like any sort of action as a trigger to awareness right and you, i think you you said it right like you get sort of a double dose of it if you're doing something physical outside in a setting that um naturally sort of seeds that 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 eye widening right like you're literally able to see more um and maybe mm. sense more and that's where the creativity can kind of flow in the ideation can can sort of flow in and it's yeah it's really it's something i've just been nerding out on for a long time now like i, mm -hmm. I uh, anytime and, and there's practical ways i do this too like if i'm if I'm stuck on a, a piece of the newsletter or a piece of um, content that I'm trying to write and I'm just like sort of banging my head against the wall, I immediately grab the shoes, go to, the, go to that boardwalk, go for a little five mile jog. And as soon as I get it back, those, that brain's humming <laughs> yeah. with good ideas. So, um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly the same. I'm the same. You know, I get, I get out to a mountain or, you know, get out on the bike and just get the body moving and get outdoors and something always happens. Something always emerges. Well, tell me more about coaching in general. Like, um, uh, like you've been doing this for, I think over a year and a half, at least in this setting. Um, and then want to hear a little bit more about your story. You talked about your own experience um, in nature and how it kind of plays into the work that you do now. Um, but, but what are the stuff that you're coaching on and who are you coaching? Yeah, so um, so a little bit of background, I guess, um, or at least career background. So uh, my career before coaching was about 18 years spent working in uh, corporate startups, public sector, um, helping organizations and people go through change and to grow as well. Um, and Fairly early on in that journey, I had, a, I had a, a realization that I didn't want to continue on a particular path that was being laid out, which was a path to be a partner in a consulting firm, realized it wasn't for me, but also felt completely lost. And this was um, 
13 years ago. It was kind of, okay, well, if I'm not going to be this, what am I going to be? And felt um, completely lost. It was a pretty, pretty uh, unpleasant place to be. And uh, at that point, got myself a coach. A friend of mine recommended a coach, uh, started working with a coach. And that fork in the road changed everything for me. Um, it started to take me in a direction of increasing my awareness of myself, of what I really want, of what I'm really scared of, of what's holding me back. And I started to make decisions with that awareness that were more in line with my values, more uh, courageous, more bold, uh, really starting to listen to myself and what I needed. And what that led me to eventually was being on retreats uh, a couple of years ago, being on a meditation retreat. And in the middle of that meditation retreat, having been on this journey of over a decade of exploring myself, exploring my soul, my purpose, my intentions, um, very vividly came to me the idea that what I'm here to do is the work I'm doing now, which is to coach people, um, to coach leaders and other people who want to make an impact or change in their lives or their organizations and help them through that change. And it was such a bold idea. It was such a vivid um, uh, arrival into, into the middle of this retreat that I didn't do anything for a couple of weeks. I just sat on it and the idea wouldn't go away. It just kept coming up, kept coming up. So I thought, okay, this is something. This is something I need to explore. So I spoke to some friends um, and they uh, sort of said, well, of course, this was the obvious next step for you. How could you not see that? you know, in the way that friends do sometimes. And I spoke to my coach and she said, I can't give you permission, but let's, let's explore. Let's explore what's drawing you to this. And that's what, that's what brought me to what I'm doing now. And from the moment I've started, there's not been a, a single doubt in my mind that this is, this is uh, what I'm here to do. Um, so what, who do I work with? I work with, I work with leaders and I work with people who want to shift their mindset and want to make a positive change. Um, so I work with kind of founders, I work with leaders in corporates, um, but I also work with anyone who really wants to make a positive shift in their lives. Um, because my, my underlying mission, I guess, is to bring more humanity to the world. And the way I view that, the way I link my mission to that is that the more the people are aware of what they really want and the more that they're acting in alignment with that, the more there's going to be people out there who are happier, more fulfilled and bringing more of that to the world themselves. So that's kind of, that's what I do. Love it. Love it. Um, man, I really want to unpack your story a little bit more, but I want to talk about coaching uh, a little bit further as well. Um, I, I think coaching is, I don't know if this is just my personal experience, but coaching is just on my radar all over the place. I feel like everybody is a coach these days. Um, I don't know if that's accurate. That's just sort of like, I think the space that I'm in and, um, and, and, and I've always sort of subscribed to coaches in so many parts of my life. Like I wouldn't have been the athlete that I was in high school and college without coaches. Um, I had just amazing coaches that helped shape not just my, um, athletic career, but my, like, you know, my early, you know, confidence, my early work ethic. Um, mm. and then all you know, really all through my, my, um, adult life, you know, I've, I've, I've been the guy that just like gets really excited for the personal trainer gets really excited for the golf instructor. Like mm -hmm. I always want to be like the best student of the teacher. And yet 
I just never really invested in a business coach, like a personal coach um, until mm-hmm. this year. And this year was like, I, I was kind of, I think I just took this perspective of like, if I'm going to go in this big career change, if I'm going to go write a book and try to lean into sort of my creative pursuits, my artistic self, um, I'm not going at this thing alone. So I've had, um, I've trialed a, a couple engagements with a couple other coaches. I just started a new engagement with a new coach um, literally last week. Mm. Um, so as a person who's not only been coached in a person who now um, coaches, what do you, um, I guess what, a, what advice do you have and be like, what, um, you know, why, why do we have coaches? Like what, what's a, why, why isn't that become more of a staple? Yeah. Great question. Great question. And I, I completely hear what you're saying that it, that feels like there's coaches everywhere. And I think the word coach gets used in a, in a really sort of broad, um, different, different ways. And it means different things. And so maybe, maybe if I can just distinguish a little bit between a, a coach and a mentor and an advisor and a consultant, uh, and a therapist. Um, so Which all those, all those words have their own broad meanings too. So it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't make it any absolutely. easier. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, Let's, I mean, let's start with consultant. So a consultant is typically someone you say, hey, I'm struggling with something and they will say, okay, I'm going to f- help you. F- I'm going to find the answer for you and tell you it and execute it for you. Uh, and sometimes they might not even know the answer. You know, the best consultants will say, yes, I can fix your problem and then figure out how to do it afterwards. That's right. Um, and then, then there's mentors. Mentors are people who have done what you're trying to do uh, already. They did it you know, 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And so they're able to say to you, when I was in your position, this is how I did it. And this is what I think you should do. A therapist will, you will go to them because there's something that doesn't feel right or there's something you want to work on. And a therapist, um, and I'm being really generalizing here, therapists will look backwards into the past and look for, look to heal the past generally. So they may kind of uh, get into childhood work or family dynamics. Uh, they may get deep into what's going on with you emotionally right now. Um, so there's a there's a degree of kind of healing in there and fixing you. Coaching is more about where are you now and where do you want to get to? I'm going to help you find the answers to do that. And I always say that to my clients. I say, um, I'm going to help you find the answers that you already have. And one of them burst out laughing when I told her that. And two months <laughs> later, in the middle of a session, she had this light bulb moment. She said, oh, wow, I didn't realize I knew that about myself. And I said, hey, sounds like you just found an answer that you already had. And we had a good laugh about it. So coaching is, yeah, the process of helping a person um, discover the answers they actually already have uh, by learning more and more about themselves. Mm. So it's back to awareness. Yeah. And do you, again, I, but I think it's kind of an interesting dynamic while I hear coaches, um, you know, everybody's a coach and while I sort of see that in my world, I also don't know a ton of people that have coaches. So I still think that mm-hmm. there's a, a big Delta in the people that, mm, that need coaches. Maybe we all need coaches. Is that, is that a crazy thing to say? 
I, I don't think so, but then I would say that. But I think... Um, <laughs> all biased. All, <laughs> um, all the highest performers in the world in any field have some sort of coach. Um, you can bet your life, you know, Jeff Bezos, uh, Elon Musk, you know, they'll all have some variation of a coach somewhere. Someone who's helping them um, be better at something they want to be better at whether it's a sports coach or whether it's a business coach or whatever it might be, a, a spiritual coach, uh, they will have some variation of that. And in athletics and sports, it's, yeah, absolutely true. As we know, all the greatest athletes in the world have amazing coaches. Politicians have coaches. Um, you know, any field you look at, the highest performers have coaches. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I think that's another thing that was in the back of my mind is like, I think it's twofold. One, when I was at my best at any particular performance, I had a coach by my side and a great one at that. Mm. And then B um, I, I agree with you. Like it's, it, it, there's, there's teams of coaches for, mm. you know, my, my athletic heroes like LeBron James, I, that guy has a whole, uh, I think an army of coaches making sure uh, he's yeah. at his best, you know, peak performance. Yeah, and you can bet LeBron James, one of his coaches will work on his mindset and his mm -hmm. psychology. Um, it will be nothing to do with physicality. That's right. That's right. Well, let's go back to you. So you, again, you didn't always have a coach and you certainly weren't always a coach. And I have a soft spot um, for your story in the sense that um, mine mirrors yours a little bit, right? I was, um, I still am a consultant and um particularly involved in the, in the tech community and, um, you know, the innovation space, et cetera. Um, so it sounds like you already went through that sort of journey yourself and said, I don't want to go down this path. Um, let's talk about those early days. Like what, what, what did that, um, those first, uh, those first kind of, we'll, we'll call it challenging moments of saying like, mm. cause, cause that path doesn't sound so bad. You know, being a successful partner at a consulting firm doesn't sound so bad. Um, so yeah, for you to make a shift, it, it had to look a little funky. Yeah, absolutely. And um, what I've noticed is that uh, throughout my life, and I think this is probably true for most people, there's been moments where I could have taken a different decision. And something, something has been put in front of me almost as a test, something tempting to say, hey, you could go this way. And there's loads of stuff down here. There's loads of money or status or prestige and sometimes I went down the road and sometimes increasingly now I don't at all it's what do I want to do and this was one of those moments and I can pinpoint it to um, a piece of work I was on a project in Denmark so I was in Copenhagen and I'd fly out every Monday morning I'd come back every Thursday evening and it wasn't a project I was particularly interested in it was for an energy company and I wasn't particularly enjoying the work and from the outside to my friends, my life looked pretty cool. You know, I get to fly to Copenhagen. I've, you know, flown to and worked in other parts of the world. And, you know, it's a great career. And, um, but I was miserable. And I found myself in my hotel room in Copenhagen. And my life really was airport, hotel, client office, back to the airport. That was pretty much my life during the week. It was not glamorous at all. And I realized I was miserable. And I realized I didn't want to do this anymore. And I realized I didn't want to continue on these train tracks to partner, but I didn't know what I did want. So I was, it was a real moment of crisis for me. I was completely mm -hmm. lost and I spent quite a bit of time, I'd say in quite an anxious state and quite, um, 
uh, a mildly depressive state, um, feeling lost, alone. Um, yeah, unsure where to go next. And uh, that didn't immediately change when I started working with a coach, but it started to. It started to, it was like, um, it was like a crack in the dam. And this was what my coach, uh, her name's Elle. She's an incredible coach. And what she was able to do very, my dam was pretty thick. You know, it was like a few feet of solid concrete. Once those cracks started to appear and then the water starts to push through, then suddenly chunks start coming away. And suddenly you realize there's all this stuff, all this stuff that I've been holding back, all this stuff I wasn't aware of suddenly just started to come through. The more it came through, uh, the better I got to know myself and the more I was able to make better decisions. And it was no longer, oh, I'm going to do these things because that's what I thought a good life or a good career looks like. And what I was chasing at that time was money and status, basically. I thought that was the key to a happy life. Um, and that was all conditioning. And it was coaching that helped me realize that. But it took time. It took time. It wasn't easy. And coaching is not, um, it can be hard work. And it can be challenging and it can be upsetting at times because you're confronting things that you've held on to for a long time. When you're making transformational change in yourself, you're going to have to confront some things about yourself that you, you possibly didn't even know or you've been holding on to for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. That's for sure. And I, I think this is pretty you know, par for the course, like it sounds like you, you sort of looked at your profession, your work life, your schedule, your, how you're experiencing work. And that was the trigger for like saying uh, something needs to change. And yet it, it wasn't necessarily what did change or, or, or at least not the most pivotal. It was really like this, this personal stuff. Right, this sort of mm. figuring yourself out through through a coach, um, and then eventually, like your work does change. What I got to think you that, again. That's that's sort of par for the course, and a lot of people do that. I, I kind of went through the same thing. What what's that about? Um, as in where the change comes from, or well, doesn't it seem a little odd that it's like we're we're sort of we're cons? And I think this again. This is. I, I think it's safe to say this is how a lot of people deal with work, right? Like work is what we sort of focus on, right? Our per mm. A lot of people call work their purpose, which I don't necessarily agree with, but it's like, um, you know, that, that's the thing that gets the most uh, eyeballs, um, both yeah. from the self and from, from the outside world. And it's the quickest thing we sort of hone in on, like, this doesn't feel right. Mm. Yet, yet, you know, that, that isn't necessarily the root of it, right? The root of it was something interior was how you're mm. showing up to the world, your disconnection from like your desires for your, you know, your values, et cetera. Mm. It's kind of, it's just kind of odd that the work thing is like what gets all the press, but it's like, all right, I got to go inward. I got to figure myself out here. And, and then again, mm. maybe the work stuff will probably change, but um, I just kind of find that dynamic intriguing. Yeah, and I think I think they're connected. So I think you're pointing at something really important. So I think, um, and we're talking uh, for me, we're talking mostly about sort of Western uh, Western cultures here. So we kind of a school, you know, you got to excel at school so that you can then go to a good college or university. 
and 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 then you come out of university or college and that means if you've got a great degree you can then go and join this sort of company and so already from the very start you, we're being narrowed we're being sort of put into boxes or funneled into a particular path and we're also being told that the way to succeed is mostly through that kind of rational way of thinking or looking at the world and um we're kind of surrounded our wider context is a culture of gain and uh, material gain and that that equals success what we don't get at the same time is what gets excluded is any sort of spiritual education um certainly you know in the uk you don't get any exploration of the self or you know what's really important to you as as a child or as a teenager or even as a young adult what sort of person are you what really matters to you what's your essence because we're all completely different and we can't we can't force ourselves into boxes um that have been uh, laid out before us or or follow tracks that have been laid out before us and those so for me those two things are completely they're they're part of the same dynamic mm. yeah so so you're basically saying um what 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 we eventually have to reckon with is the the western culture exterior sort of forces at play that have conditioned our minds, um, particularly around success, gain, work, um, as like kind of the end all be all. And it just, uh, there comes a certain point where that <laughs> something's got to give, um, the interior, mm. the interior is not, uh, just won't have any more of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, the way I talk about it sometimes is that the, um, the, the pain needs to become so severe that you, you want to make a change. And it's like, it's, like, um, it's like a flower bud. And eventually the tension in the flower bud becomes so intense that it eventually has to bloom. Mm. And that's, that's, the way, that's the way I see this sort of change. Sometimes that internal, that interior pressure needs to become so severe, which was my moment in the hotel room in Copenhagen that you feel compelled to change. Something has to change because the pain has become severe enough. Yeah. I, so you said, you said two things. One, um, one, yeah, we don't learn this stuff in schools. I, I, that was another thing that I was definitely keenly aware of over, over the, I've just been really, I think aware of it over the last year is like, what the heck? I learned a lot of stuff. You know, I got told a lot of stuff, but I didn't, I didn't really learn anything about like journaling, about meditation, about, you know, the power of creative um, play, basically. Right. Um, you know, a, a self-discovery that like mm. nobody taught me any of that stuff. And it's like, yeah, what the heck? Like now I get to learn all this stuff. Come on. This yeah. is, this is way too important. Um, so, so I agree with you there. The, the other piece is, well, you just made me think of this, um, and, and I've kind of been wrestling with this myself. So this is a tough question. I don't even know if you have a good answer to this, but basically what we were talking about, and again, I agree with you, is what's, what's sort of working against us in some ways is this, is these, this culture, this ex, these external forces at play, and they're just exhaustive, and they are many from childhood mm -hmm 
through our teens, through our twenties, through our thirties. But then I'm, and so, so, okay, I get where that comes from. You used a, you used a very particular word though. When you said, you know, you had your breakthrough, you started to use the word want, right? And you started to be clear of what you want. Mm. If we know where the things that we don't want come from, where does the want come from? Yeah, that, that is a great question. That is a great question. And um, I'm going to give you my answer. I, I think a lot of that we're born with. I think we're born with an essence. And I think, I know that sounds, that might sound a bit out there to some people. Um, but the, people who have kids or close to kids um, will see uh, that the moment their child is born, and particularly if they have more than one child, they've got a, they've got a personality and a character already. Um, I've got five nieces and nephews, and from the moment they were born, you could see the moment there's, there's elements of a personality and a character in there already, and they can be completely different characters. So much of the, much of the clues of um, who we are are already there in childhood, the things that we were drawn to, the things that we liked doing. And I'd be curious to know, um, in your origins, in your childhood, where did writing show up or where did something like writing show up? And what are the other clues that get all, what else gives us clues about what you're doing now? Because I'd be willing to bet that those, those clues are there. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, uh, I haven't looked back at it, um, which is, I think, short-sighted considering what I've gone through this year. Um, that would be a fascinating sort of experiment and exploration. Um, and so I'll answer in two ways. One, like, yeah, I, th- I think the born with it piece is, is spot on. And you reminded me of my favorite author, Stephen Pressfield, and his, one of his latest books, The Artist's Journey. He talks about everybody having a daemon. Have you ever heard mm-hmm. of this? Have you heard of this concept, yeah. the daemon? Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's this, it's this sort of spirit guide that is over your shoulder at all times, sort of like nudging you and then potentially dragging you. And like, um, I think even going as far as like forcibly causing you pain to get you to do what you were born to do. You know, mm. to get you to bring your art to the world, mm. to get you to bring your, uh, your true self to the world. Mm. And so whether it's out there or not, it's definitely the best explanation I have and one I subscribe to. Yeah. Um, now to yeah. answer your question and, and actually, I think back that up a little bit. Um, writing in particular was definitely early on. Um, my, my mom, you know, uh, um, my biggest fan, like, like most of us, um, she actually saved quite a few poems, um, from, from my early ages. Um, so even, she even showed me this poem the other day, um, that was from like, man, it, it might've been second grade, um, second or third grade. And it was about, um, uh, it was about a raindrop on a, on a leaf, <laughs> mm-hmm. something pretty specific and, and, and really small and, and a, 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 in a metaphor for growth, uh, mm. which is, which is pretty crazy to, to, to read after all these years and, and think about that. That was, mm, that was just something that, that sort of poured out of me. And there was, yeah, now, now that you're making me think of it, like um, I remember I wrote it, I, I wrote and drew a children's book 
um, that got me in this like young authors awards ceremony. Wow. When I was like um, maybe third or fourth grade and those things, you know, for better, for worse, like <clears throat> the signs were there. Right. Mm. I, I, I put them away um, slowly, but surely, you know, I, um, I think through all the things that we talked about earlier, I started to pile everything over that, that creative sort of playful side of me, that experimental mm. side of me. And mm. I started taking, you know, the safe roads and I've talked about this before. My mom would, she, she gets mad every time, but she did sit me down my freshman year of college where I was, uh, I was considering being an English major because I got mm. really into the two to the, the Brit lit class I was in and the poetry yeah. class. And she's like, no, 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 dude, I didn't send you to school to go be a, an English major. They don't make any money. Get your butt into business or engineering. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I almost identical experience. I, my, my passion was to be a journalist when I went to university and um, I also loved English. I studied English at um, what we call sixth form, which is like college in the US. And yeah, I wanted to be a journalist. My mom said, there's no money in journalism. You, you know, you, you're not going to make any money. So I kind of got gently nudged towards a career in business. So ended up studying marketing and then a master's in finance and then off we go. So I, I completely resonate with that. Yeah. Uh, no regrets, but man, journalism sounds like such a cool major too. I'm sort of jealous. I was like, man, my, my buddy, Ryan, he's actually a great salesman and mm. I, he credits a lot of his uh, expertise um, to being a journalist. He was a journalist, mm. a major and a journalist early on. And he just has a, a, an amazing uh, tested skill set of listening. Mm. Uh, and it's because of, I think that practice of doing so many interviews. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, back to this, back to this sort of unveiling of the self, my, 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 my new coach, John, um, he, he asked me, um, well, he, he kind of painted a metaphor for me. He's like, I see you as a, as a sculpture. He's like, you're like, like the, you know, the Greek God sculptures. And I was like, okay, tell me more, bro. Tell me more. And he's like, but you're not finished yet. He's like, you've just got a chisel in your hand, man. And he's like, you're just, mm. you're just constantly chiseling away at yourself. And I just thought it was such an interesting metaphor that he, um, that he referenced for myself. Cause that's, that's how I think of it. I think mm. I often use the phrase chipping away and to bring it back to your perspective of, you know, if I was born with this creative, playful mindset, um, you know, uh, sort of uh, this pursuit, this daemon, um, you know, built into me from the beginning, uh, may, yeah. maybe I've just packed all this, this extra clay on me. And now yeah. I'm shipping away. Yeah, absolutely. I hear you, man. Um, I want to share a little story if I can. There's a, there's a little, um, there's a, uh, an old Buddhist fable. Um, which tells the story of uh, this village that had this golden Buddha statue. It was like five feet tall and it was made of, made of gold. And then the country got invaded and the army was, this invading army was sweeping through the country and the villagers said, well, we must, we must protect our golden Buddha. We must um, do something about this. So they covered it up in clay and they sort of put stonework all over this Buddha. So this army then sweeps through the village and they're kind of ransacking everything. And they look at this statue and they say, oh, it's just a stone, it's just a stone Buddha. It looks like it's just, you know, some, 
it's of no real value. Over the years, this gets forgotten. So generation after generation, it gets forgotten that the original villagers had covered up this golden Buddha. And one day, there's a, there's a monk who is praying at the foot of the, uh, the Buddha, and a piece of clay just drops off, a piece of stone just drops off, and underneath he sees this golden toe. And he runs off to tell all the other monks, he says, you won't believe this, the Buddha is made of gold. And so they come along, showing up, has a hammer, chisels, and they start chipping off all this stonework, and underneath is the original golden Buddha. And it's used as a metaphor for exactly what you're describing, that we are all a golden Buddha, but we've covered ourselves up with clay and stone and all these things that need to be chipped away, and we need to remember that we are the golden Buddha. Oh, man. Jesus pulled that story out. We are all a golden Buddha. I need, you got to send me that afterwards. I'm definitely writing about that this week. Um, thank you. Um, that's a, that's a wonderful, wonderful story and, and certainly timely. Um, yeah, I think it's a beautiful metaphor for who we all are and what we're capable of if we allow ourselves to find it. That's right. That's right. Well, let's, let's keep bringing it back to your story. So you've been doing this work for, again, o- over a year. Um, you've been chipping away, chipping away at your golden Buddha plenty. Mm. Um, what have you found? What surprised you? What, what, do you have any stories of sort of where, where your eyes widened in, in awareness, um, particularly recently? Um, your awareness has just sort of um, evolved. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, many, I guess. There's so, there's so many there's so many things that have happened in the last 18 months since I started on this journey <clears throat> that really um, show me I'm on the right path. Um, and if I were to summarize them, it's, I would say it's incredible the amount of people and things that have shown up to support me on this journey. Uh, there, there, there's so many, I can't mention them all. They, they seem fantastical, but I'll, I'll mention one. I'll mention one. So there's a woman called Kate, um, who 13 years ago introduced me to my coach. She's a coach herself. She introduced me to my coach. I hadn't spoken to her since, uh, fast forward 13 years, my coach said, oh, now that you're doing coaching, I must reintroduce you to Kate because she's running this coaching business, coaching middle leaders and I think you two would get on great and she's you know there'd be a great connection there and now I'm part of Kate's organization um, coaching middle leaders inside big corporates and we're about to do some really exciting projects um, in the states actually complete you know 13 years apart these this reintroduction and there's been so many more examples like that things that have shown up and for me the lesson has been when you're being true to your purpose and when you're showing up every day, being true to your purpose, resources will emerge. People will emerge to support you on that journey. And so for me, what I'm learning is have the faith, take the step. And there's no longer a need to plan. I used to be an obsessive planner. Every, I didn't start unless I thought I could see the whole journey. And now I'm, now I'm more towards the opposite. It's kind of, this feels like the right thing to do. So I'm going to start. And I'm going to have faith that I'll find what I need to find to help me do it. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. So 13 years and Kate comes back around. Yeah, and Kate comes back around into my life. And I can give you at least 20 other examples of that um, in the last 18 months. And yeah, there's something, 
there's something about living in line with your purpose and showing up with authenticity. I think people respond to that. And you can think of that as a universe at work, you know, the interconnectedness of the universe, which I believe, but you can also just think of it practically and every single interaction you're having, if you're in line with your purpose, every single conversation, every single email you send, it's giving off an energy that people can pick up on pretty quickly that this person is genuine, this person's authentic, and this person is doing something that they uh, that is their purpose. And people respond to that. They, they either want to work with you or they want to introduce you to someone or they want to uh, support you in some way. Um, and then you yourself are just, you've got your eyes and ears open for the right things because you know exactly what it is that you want to do. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. Like when you, I mean, less and less just because the people I, I, I surround myself with, but when, whenever you talk about the universe sort of aligning resources showing up, you know, using the G word, God coming in handy, mm. uh, you know, it, it's a little polarizing, um, but it's also logical, you know, it's also mm. like, yeah, if you, if you start going down this path, like people take notice, right. Yeah. Particularly if you bring in your, that sort of childlike enthusiasm, mm. um, that passion to, to, to whatever it is, um, it, you know, of course, of course, opportunities arise. Of yeah. course, people show up like Kate. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's how we, we met, right. You know, um, kind of, there was a, a random connection with Raj and then Raj introduced me to, to you and, uh, I've been following your journey and I'm on, you know, I get a newsletter and I've listened to uh, some of your guests and yeah, I, I, the moment we met, I was like, okay, this is a guy who's doing something important. He's doing his purpose. And my instinctive reaction to that is there's a way that I can help Bobby. I'm going to help Bobby. And I also want to stay in touch with his journey because it's amazing to watch someone on that journey. It's, it's exciting and it's inspiring and it's thrilling. That's right. That's right. So you're getting some, uh, you're getting some new projects work here in the States gone. Yeah. So we're, we can talk about, or is this secret stuff? It's pretty secret, actually. It's pretty (laughs) secret, but there's a, there's a, there's a big, um, there's a big, um, I'm going to call them, they're in the sort of media space. There's a big, really well-known organization that we're about to start coaching their senior leaders. uh, And they're based in, uh, New York and the West Coast, and uh, they reached a point in the organization where they've reached the top of their field, but um, they can't go any further unless they join the executive. And that might not happen for a long time, and it might not be what they want. So we're going to be spending some time with them, helping them understand what is it you really want? Back to that question. What is it you really want? And how can we creatively help you to get that? And it might be actually, yeah, you do want that next role, uh, that more, more seniority, more money. It might be that you want something else. You might want to write a book. You might want to start a podcast. You might want to join this other organization as part of the parent group. You might want to work three days a week because you want to spend more time with your family. You might want to learn how to sail. Right? This could be all sorts of things that you really want to do that's going to bring you alive. And this organization really progressively has realized they'd rather do that for their senior leaders than have them leave uh, or have them discontent. Uh, And if they do choose to leave, they want to do that in a healthy, um, supportive way. So it's, it's great to be able to do that sort of work. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I think that's another, um, I'll, I'll call it a point for the good guys. Um, the, the investment of, of companies in, into mm. personal growth, into mindset training, into, you know, just supporting any sort of, uh, I think, spiritual, mental, physical practices. I'm, you're definitely seeing more of it, um, mm. uh, certainly than 10 years ago, but I'd even say then you know, a few years ago. So mm, um, I think, I think the last 18 months has accelerated that. Yeah. I think there's been a real uh, enforced shift into uh, in organizations thinking about this because people are thinking about it. People have spent the last 18 months confronted with their own mortality, perhaps in a subconscious way. Um, but also asking themselves questions they might not have asked themselves um, before. Is this it? Is, is this, is this what I'm here for? I'm going to keep on working until I retire, take the pension. Is this it? Is this really it? Because, you know, life's, life's short and life can be taken away pretty quickly. So as more and more people are asking this question, organizations are starting to respond. And I think that's a, that's a very, really positive thing. It's a really positive thing. That's certainly what I'm seeing. Yeah. So are you going to be in New York or are you going to, um, I guess, how's the virtual like uh, experience impacted your work? Or um, it's worked. It's worked really well. I mean, um, I prefer in person. I love being with people. I love being around people. But um, uh, coaching, even before uh, this, is uh, the last eighteen months was often not have sessions by phone with my coach um, and doing sessions by video. Uh, it works really well um, because you can still pick up quite a lot from from having that focused time with someone. Uh, and actually, what it's opened up is the possibility of working with people all over the world, as I've just you know just described. And my clients are, yeah, many different countries all over Europe and uh, Middle East. So uh, it's actually enabled that as well. So it actually works pretty well because at the heart of it really is conversation. Um, both aspects of it, you know, talking and listening. And that can be done pretty well on Zoom. Uh, it's, not, it's, not, it's not the same experience as being in a room with someone, but it's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty close, pretty close second. Absolutely. Well, Jenny, dude, this has been a pleasure. Thank you for um, coming on here, working through this, uh, this up, upending of the creative palace here. Um, <laughs> um, I'm really, you, you know, you're a trooper about it and I'm just really grateful we got to have this conversation. Um, I know you're doing a lot of stuff. Um, uh, how do people follow you? What, what, what should they go to, to engage? And I know you write newsletters yourself. You write, um, I think you're writing a book or you did write a book. Um, how do people get engaged with you? Uh, yeah, so uh, best place to find me is uh, my website, selfishleader.com. Um, to find stuff that's more current, what I'm currently talking about or sharing, uh, I share a lot on LinkedIn. So you can find me, uh, Jindyman, at linkedin.com forward slash Jindyman. And uh, I also have Instagram, but I only I don't post on it that often. So I'd say LinkedIn or the website are the best places to go. And you can sign up for the newsletter there as well. Well, you know, I'm there cheering for you, um, chipping away, finding our golden Buddhas, man. So <laughs> absolutely appreciate it. And great to be on this journey with you, Bobby. Hey, it's Bobby. 
Thanks for listening to today's show. For more, follow Student of Intention at www.studentofintention.com. And remember, don't wait, start small, learn as you go.